Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'm so glad you're here. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. This week, I want to talk with you about grief. And I know that just that first sentence alone can be enough to cause some of us to shut down or raise our defense mechanisms. Because grief isn't something we're taught to familiarize ourselves with, talk about, explore, or get to know all that well. It brings up so much. It sheds light on our past, our present, our coping methods, our relationships with ourselves, other people, a higher power, and the universe. We're all taught from a very young age to just get through grief. We're taught that the grieving process is not as important as the event or the loss that triggers the grief or that the grief is not as important as the time in the future when we will be done with our grieving. Grief is seen as that long, dusty highway that no one really wants to be on, and the only reason we stop is for gas. Personally, I've never felt that way. I always felt that grief was very much a part of my experience here on Earth. We live our lives and we inevitably find joy, we find love, we find purpose, We find the people and things that we swear we can't live without. And then in an instant, they're gone and we keep going. Grief takes us places. And grief is a place in and of itself. It's dynamic, unique, and malleable. It changes us, and yet it changes along with us. I don't believe that this part of our journey, the afterlife of grief, is a punishment for something we did or for who we are. I truly believe it's just part of being here and being human. Our experience here is a constant cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. If you love something or someone, I can promise you that you will lose it or them at some point. This can be a difficult reality to face on a good day, and it can be completely overwhelming when you're really immersed in grief. And I don't say any of that to bring up feelings of fear or trigger attachment issues. I truly believe that time is a gift, not a threat. And time with the people we love, in the places we love, or doing what we love, are all by their very nature temporary. So it can be a powerful perspective shift to honor and embrace the time you do have with what you love and make the most out of it with our presence. We'll still grieve the loss, don't get me wrong, but our experience in grief of knowing we gave our all, knowing we were fully present, knowing we said what needs to be said, can change our experience with grief. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast. Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I start every single morning with a cup of their Fire on the Mountain organic coffee blend. And if you're anything like me and you're particular about what you eat and drink and how it's sourced, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My uncle Chelsea was probably the person in my family that I was closest with. One day, many years ago, while I was at his house, I opened up a book that was on the table we were seated at. And as I opened the book, I saw all these little ripped pieces of paper. I turned the book upside down and they fell out like snowflakes. I picked up the top piece of paper and read his words. And these were just words that came to him during prayer and meditation, things that he was processing in his own life, things he wanted to incorporate into his sermons, words that he had scribbled down and stuck in this book. And there they were, a mound of scribbled thoughts and feelings. And as sweet as that memory is, the reason it resonated for me so much is that since I was a child, I've done the exact same thing. I scribbled my thoughts and feelings on little ripped pieces of paper and stuck them in books. There are probably libraries all over this country that have little notes from me stuck between all the pages. So when I realized that he did the exact same thing, I immediately took out my camera and photographed one of these notes. And it said, I come here to discover all the things I can live without. And I guess that's where I want to begin this episode on grief, gently shifting our perspective of it. And instead of looking at it as a punitive aberration, maybe squinting a bit and seeing it as a common thread that's woven throughout all of our lives. It's easy to sit here today feeling pretty far removed from the most painful chapters of grief in my life and wax poetic about its meaning. But one thing that helped me on my darkest days of grief was refusing to look at it as people or things being stolen from me, and instead trusting that grief was a testament to the amount of love flowing through me. And instead of stealing from me, grief was chipping away at my layers and revealing who I am at my core. Anticipatory grief is a topic that I felt was really important to highlight in this episode. I was the director of a cancer support center for quite a while, and during that time, I facilitated several of the support groups we offered there. Two of the groups I facilitated were the caregiver support group and the grief group. And in both of these groups, we regularly discussed anticipatory grief. This is the kind of mourning that occurs when someone is expecting a death or significant loss. Anticipatory grief parallels many of the same symptoms as those experienced after a death. This kind of grieving offers us more time to slowly integrate and adapt to the reality of the impending loss. Grief that follows an unexpected loss or death is different from anticipatory grief. Unplanned loss may shock and overwhelm the coping abilities of a person, and it can make normal functioning impossible. Even though we recognize a loss has occurred, we may not be able to accept the loss. Life can feel out of order, chaotic, and confusing as our body, mind, and spirit works to integrate the two realities, the life or relationship that once was, and the new life without it. Anticipatory grief is sometimes confused with feelings of abandonment, 
And I just want to share with anyone who has or is currently experiencing this, you are not abandoning your loved one. You are being present to the reality of life on life's terms. Anticipatory grief is a messenger of presence. It invites you to find connection and clarity with yourself and with the other person while they're still here. A challenging aspect of grief that often came up during the support groups was the guilt and shame over feelings of relief while grieving. And this is a very sensitive topic, so I'll do my best to offer clarity around this, but I also ask you to maybe be willing to shift your perspective around this. Caring for a loved one who is ill and at the end of their life can be incredibly painful and overwhelming. The relief does not come up because you're immediately okay with the loss. The relief arises from knowing your loved one is no longer suffering and no longer in pain. But talking about feelings of relief in the grieving process can feel so taboo. We are just human. That's it. And living in a space of emotional pain, impending loss, and the unknown for an extended period of time can feel almost unbearable. When the loss finally does occur, you can begin the grieving process and move through all of your feelings. Several of my family members and loved ones died within a very short period of time in my life. Each one of them had suffered through their illnesses, and although it was incredibly painful to navigate the loss, I definitely exhaled some sobs of relief knowing that they were transitioning into another experience and no longer in fear and pain. Survivor's guilt is also something that came up in those support groups. And survivor's guilt is when a person has feelings of guilt because they survived a life-threatening situation or a death or an illness when others did not. It's a common reaction to traumatic events, and it's also a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. And we see this in all different groups, from war veterans and first responders to cancer survivors and transplant recipients, crash survivors or natural disaster survivors, someone who witnesses a traumatic event, family members of those who have a a fatal hereditary condition and it just skips you. When someone loses a family member to suicide or parents who outlive their child. And so many feelings come up when you're experiencing survivor's guilt. You're wondering, why did you survive when others did not? Or maybe you're perseverating on what you did during the traumatic event or what you didn't do during the traumatic event and how that affected things. Other symptoms of PTSD that come up in this situation are sometimes flashbacks or obsessive thoughts about the event. Irritability and anger, you know, wavering with feelings of helplessness and disconnection, lack of motivation, problems sleeping. Sometimes it's manifesting really physically and you're getting headaches, nausea, stomach aches, Maybe you isolate yourself or have thoughts of suicide. The world can sometimes feel like a chaotic and unsafe and unfair place to someone experiencing survivor's guilt. And that's why it's really important to talk about all the different faces of grief and all the different feelings that come up. 
because it's just not a one-size-fits-all situation. There's also a particular type of grief that's connected to things working out or finally getting what you want. And that probably doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're listening to this and thinking, I I don't know, I would love for some things to work out right about now. I mean, I personally would love for some things to work out. Um, And at this point, maybe you're also wondering why I'm not just listing the stages of grief as outlined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and calling it a day. But that's not what I'm here to do. You can pick up any book on grief and read about her theories. Some of the most frustrating conversations in my own life around grief have entailed someone rattling off the five stages of grief that they, you know, read about in a meme and demanding to know where I was in the process, as if that was a one-way street and I was failing if I couldn't check the right boxes and progress at the right pace. This conversation we're having today feels a bit more personal. So let's talk about that uncomfortable or almost shameful grief of finally getting what you want. This could be the dream job, the perfect relationship, the home you've always wanted, anything. Any dream you've ever had, once realized, is equal parts loss and gain. And sometimes we don't realize that it's the chase, the hope, the dream, the climb that actually gets us out of bed in the morning. It drives us, it pushes us, it makes us more industrious or creative. And grieving the chase, the dreaming, the ache, the desire, it's all absolutely okay. It can be bittersweet. And the vacancy, the empty lot in our heart where hope and anticipation once lived, can feel cavernous. It's like we're missing something. I also think this brings to mind something that my friend Ed said to me years ago. He said that when love walks into the room, it forces us to think about all the times in our life when we had to go without it. All the times we accepted less than we deserved or refused to let love in. It's almost as if receiving something abundant can bring up all of our fears of deprivation to the surface. It's similar to grieving our anger when we finally find healing and peace or come to terms with something. That anger that we let go of may have been our life raft during a stressful time in our life. Letting go of that anger can bring up a lot of fear and sadness. It might have been the only emotion that felt safe or felt clear. Everything else might have been confusing, but our anger cut through it like a knife. I think there's also a lot of grief in any kind of recovery program, whether that's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Al-Anon, or your own version of sobriety. Whatever the drug of choice was probably felt like your best friend and worst enemy at the time, but you got to know it really well, and you were close, and you barely went a moment without it. And there's so much grief associated with not using it anymore. Working through the character defects that it ignited, the habits that it encouraged, and maybe even the isolation and harmful selfishness that it created in your life. All of these things bring up grief. I mean, this might have been all you knew for a really long time. And someone unfamiliar with sobriety and recovery, and there's a lot of people out there who are unfamiliar with it. They think they know about it because 
they had some big emotions around someone having a drinking or drug problem. But that's not the same as understanding the nuances of sobriety and recovery. And that person could hear me say that and think, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you be happy to be free of it and be sober? Life is suddenly so much better. Oh my God, first of all, (laughs) that's not a given. Um, The only thing sobriety promises you is that you will now be walking through life without an anesthetic, and that is really important to remember, especially if you're a friend or family member or coworker of someone who is on a new journey of sobriety. Does life get better with recovery? I don't know. I don't know if life gets better. I do know that we get better. We develop coping skills. We develop strength and empathy. But that doesn't ensure an easy ride or joy all the time. It just promises that you get to live life on life's terms without the one thing that numbed you or separated you from your feelings. So I think it's important to acknowledge this grief and not shame anyone for it. Especially if you do have a friend or family member who's in recovery or considering it as a next step. It takes compassion and a certain amount of emotional intelligence to recognize that we can grieve something that harmed us as much as we would grieve the loss of a loved one. It's the devil they know. Sobriety and recovery are so much more dynamic than addiction. Addiction is intense repetition. But at least you can depend on the disappointment, the shame, the losses, the isolation, and the fear. And it can be really difficult to rise to the occasion in sobriety and recovery. Those feelings of guilt, those are normal. A lot of people I've spoken to lately are grieving the year that was 2020 and this first half of 2021. That's 18 months of missed opportunities loss of work, loss of connection, health scares, deaths, dramatic shifts in our worlds that have turned life upside down, sometimes for the better, and other times for much, much worse. This is a time we will never get back, and it can be challenging to acknowledge the particular grief we feel right now when we are simultaneously experiencing gratitude and grief. I think about this a lot. I'm grateful every single day for my health, my home, money in the bank. I have gas in the tank of a working car. My family's okay. My professional life is a little bit up in the air, but I'm not in dire straits. I'm grateful for so much. I made it through the last 18 months. So many people can't say the same thing. There have been so many devastating losses. That includes loved ones businesses, privacy, freedom, independence, just a way of life that we loved. Today, if I'm being really honest, I'm in deep grief over my lost confidence that things might turn out okay. Uh, I mean, if you know me in real life, (laughs) I'm not exactly a ray of sunshine, but I trusted in some sort of flow and order in the universe. And this year changed all of that. I can say with confidence that today my confidence is probably at an all-time low. 
And I had no idea what a strong and invisible threat it was behind the scenes, just in so many aspects of my life. But now that it's depleted, or on many days almost completely gone, I'm hyper aware of its absence and my deep longing to return to a place where it's been quietly existing and waiting for me. I think that idea of returning to the old self or old relationship or old way of life is the trickiest aspect of grief because there's no going back at all. There's only walking or in some cases crawling towards something new and finding your footing. For me, it can feel pretty selfish to grieve what I lost during this time when I look around in my life and I see so much abundance. And I'm not just talking about money. You know, I know that there's like a big trend right now where abundance is just, you know, getting the exact amount of money you want. You know, life is really abundant. But I truly believe that grief and gratitude are not in competition with one another. They can coexist and take alternating inhales and exhales. And my awareness and intimacy with both of them will only serve to bring me deeper into my present reality. I think that many of us struggle with that exact same thing at times, which is feeling guilt and shame for feeling what we're feeling. That denial of our own reality can be crippling. There's a specific dynamic here that some of you may relate to if, like me, you are the adult child of an alcoholic or addict. The patterns we establish when we're younger and powerless and when so many aspects of life are out of our control can continue to inform how we think and feel as we get older and gain power and autonomy. I grew up in a home that was affected by the family disease of alcohol, addiction, and mental illness. And I remember in the home of one parent experiencing all the worst side effects of this disease, including various types of abuse, overwhelming fear and anxiety, constantly walking on eggshells, volatile behavior, distorted perception, low self-esteem, and all-around absolute terror 24 hours a day. It was very textbook. And in the home of my other parent, there was a lot of silence, a lot of loneliness, a lot of feeling as if I was in the way, and that if I made myself invisible, this parent could be happy. And because there was no safe space to process any of the emotions, the message I received was that I better consider myself lucky to be in house number two, because house number one might kill me. I turned my gratitude against myself. I almost weaponized it to make me feel as if this was the best option I could get. And there was so much fear attached to that. If I express how I feel, or if I want more or better for myself, I might lose what I have. I wouldn't allow myself to grieve or identify and process emotions. I was running away from something terrible and settling for something that honestly wasn't that good, and telling myself I should settle for this and that not wanting any more would be a symbol of my gratitude. And even if you don't relate to that childhood experience I've just shared, it's important to hear someone tell you that you don't have to settle for anything that's less than what you want or need. Personally, I want to settle for miracles. I want to settle for ecstatic joy 
and being in awe of my life. And in the meantime, I give myself permission to process all of my thoughts and feelings, all of my wants, needs, fears, and anxieties without weaponizing any of them and still finding my gratitude. So I'll just exhale and say it. I'm grieving the last 18 months. I'm in deep grief. And it's hard. And there are moments when I just feel so ashamed of my grief. I know that a lot of good happened in the last 18 months. I know that. I know that there are other people who lost more than me. I absolutely understand that. And I can have profound compassion for that while offering myself grace to acknowledge all that I'm grateful for and all that I lost. There's space for all of that within me, all of my experiences and emotions. Grief is a broad highway, and you don't get to bypass it just because you had a good day or a stroke of luck or the person next to you had it worse. There's room for all of your grief. A few weeks ago, I posted a question on Facebook and asked people, what do you wish other people knew or understood about your experience with grief? And what did you personally misunderstand about grief? And I also said that grief is not limited to the death of a loved one. Think in terms of the full spectrum, including anticipatory grief, grief surrounding the loss of a job, a way of life, a diagnosis, the ending of a relationship. Here were some of the responses. So often, grief is presented as a linear process. I think the Kubler-Ross stages inform this perspective for those who haven't been in the thick of grief yet. But while all the stages do crop up, and I appreciate the way the paradigm has given us a vocabulary to talk about grief, in my experience, grief is more of a wave that ebbs and flows than a staircase you climb. And sometimes, the strongest waves come years after the loss or are triggered by seemingly inconsequential things. I miss my brother at the most random moments, like when trying to calculate the tip on a shared bill and knowing if he were there, he would double it himself. Or when my son does something totally happy and normal, like participate in a track meet, I find myself mourning the expectations of typical childhood that his chronic disease made me let go of. The world praises the resilience and the moving on of those who have suffered great loss, but they fear and avoid the deep sadness and ease with uncertainty those same people can access so easily. I thought that was so beautiful. Some more of the answers are... The depth of loss is a very personal experience and has its own path and time. Grief is a boot that presses harder and harder on your chest when you try to breathe. The only way to relieve the weight is by helping others. That is the only way to turn your pain into something good. Grief is a monster with teeth, and the more you ignore it, the harder it bites. I got used to the bites and grew calluses. Grief is going to be with me my whole life, but I have accepted him because he's told me he's with others too. 
Grief is the hole in the cup where your joy leaks away. Grief is a physical pain in the heart that affects your physical as well as your mental health. You have to allow yourself to grieve. If possible, connect with others who are going through the same thing, supporting each other. It helps you to understand that what you're feeling is normal and you're not alone. Grief is the time when boundaries must be firm by the griever and respected by others. And the griever also has the responsibility to express their needs as best they can at the moments they feel them. Supporters must also understand nonverbal cues and realize that they may always be in the wrong for the moments of grieving. The stages of grief may come and go. Just because you get through one of them doesn't mean you're done with that stage and doesn't mean that you won't feel that way again. Despite the fact that whatever caused the grief is a huge life change, it doesn't mean you're starting over. It's just a bump in your life's journey. With great loss, the heart is wounded, and the scar it leaves we call grief. We have the choice of continually scratching the scar to the point that it can become infected, or to live in the present, grateful for the blessings of our past. Moments will arise when the pain of grief is strong. Bless these moments, energy in motion, emotion, and know that you're never alone. I wish I could wrap this episode up in a nice bow and offer some clear answers for how to navigate grief or how to support others in their grieving process, but I don't think it's that simple or straightforward. As I said earlier, there's no one-size-fits-all response to grief. I do know that whenever I would welcome a new group member into any of my groups, the first question I would ask them is this. Is there anything I need to know about you in order to give you the best care possible? So that is something I can leave you with. When you don't know what to say, how to support someone, or how to show up, finding ways to increase empathy, communication, and understanding has never hurt anyone. Asking someone what we need to know about them to offer care is a commitment to presence. And that might just be what someone needs as they process their feelings of grief. I also think that there's a powerful tool that can help us show up and take care of ourselves during grief. And that's something I've mentioned in previous episodes. Using the acronym HALT to identify, am I hungry? angry, lonely, or tired, and then taking the steps to address those needs. Feelings of grief are often a manifestation of love, and so meeting these feelings with compassion and tenderness can help us walk through them and guide others through them as well. I wanted to close this episode with a quote by Miranda Joy that beautifully captured so many feelings I've had about grief. I made orange juice from concentrate and showed her the trick of squeezing the juice of one real orange into it. It removes the taste of being frozen. She marveled at this, and I laughed and said, life is easy. What I meant was, life is easy with you here, and when you leave, it will be hard again. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform, check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account, and join me on Instagram at loveletters and mixtapes.